I, I want them to say that I loved life, that I loved them, that I was brave uh, and bold, but also kind. Uh, I want them to see that I made the most of what I was given and that I didn't always take the easy road. Sometimes I took a really hard road and sometimes I backed up off of that road and rethought things. Taking the hard road isn't just an inspirational thought for my guest in this episode. It's truly been a blueprint for her life. Jeanette Bennett is the founder and editor-in-chief of a series of successful magazines here in Utah. But that success didn't necessarily come easy. Instead, it's been the result of years of hard work and a lot of risk. Today, Jeanette is joining me to talk about how she gets inspired to do hard things and where she finds hope when life tries to keep her down. Welcome to Heart of the Home, a podcast exploring the personal histories that inspire our surroundings, candid conversations about the stories behind the pretty pictures, tales of design and renovations gone wrong and right, because a home isn't just a structure filled with things, it's the people who live there. So join me as we explore the unique stories that help each of us find our way home. I'm excited to to be here. Dormy day too. You know, it's beautiful and I love seeing a beautiful home and uh, seeing the earth come to life, all the greenery. I actually am excited about the rain. I love springtime. It feels like the world is like waking up. Yes, right? there's newness and I feel like we're all craving that right now. Possibility and growth and progress, you know, progress, seeing something grow. You know, we, I love to see that in plants, but also in myself and in the world. And hopefully we're headed for a good season of growth. You've had quite the season of personal growth it's been, lately. It's been quite the 12 months. Yes. yes. I want to get into that. But first, I really want to talk about how you came to be in this space that you're in. You know, I have a friend who works with you yes, and has worked awesome. with you for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I'm so fascinated you know, starting a magazine is no joke. It's no joke. Wouldn't, rec wouldn't recommend. <laughs> starting a magazine that has been successful for this long. I mean, tell me how you got yeah. your start in magazine work. Yeah, I grew up in Idaho Falls and I used to play journalist. It was like what I did as a kid. I would make up uh, little newsletters and I would report the weather on the wall, you know, thinking I might go into broadcast. My first job was at a TV station in Idaho Falls. I ran the cameras and uh, and called people for highs and lows for the day at the weather report. I mean, I, it's just so crazy how much the world has changed. But that was a really fun job. I loved the excitement of it and of, of figuring out ways to articulate news for the audience. And, uh, and so it was just awesome for me. And then when I went to college, I pursued journalism and worked at the student newspapers. I was the editor at BYU and uh, finished my master's there as well in communications. And I worked at the Deseret News and I worked at the New Era magazine, which is for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So a couple of jobs in downtown Salt Lake City and really, really loved it. But honestly, the big pivot for me was when I became a mom and my oldest just turned 23 a few months ago. And when he was born, I was working at the Deseret News, planned to come back, told them I would be back after six weeks. But after I had him in my arms, my brain started going different directions. And I was, I was thinking, is that really what I want? And at that time, telecommuting wasn't a thing. I, the options were fewer. It was, I was going to have to be on site. 
Um, and the shifts were, you know, 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. to midnight because we did have some morning papers and afternoon papers. And and it just started to not feel like what I wanted to do, which was surprising to me because I'd worked so hard to start my career and I was an up-and-comer at the Desert News. Things were going well. I think they liked me and I'd had some promotions and bonuses and things. And so I started thinking about being an entrepreneur. All of a sudden, that light bulb came on with motherhood. Because all of a sudden, my idea of the life I wanted to create was shifting, and it, clu- it included a lot of flexibility. And it seemed like that could be a way I could move forward. I had minored in business at BYU, but honestly, it was because I thought I would write about business. And it, it wasn't because I thought I would be a business person at all. But all of a sudden, I was like, oh my goodness, what did we learn in accounting? And you know, what, what were those details there? And I just took little steps. First, it was a newsletter that I started for high school journalism advisors. And I sent a sample to every high school in the United States, which was 10,500 at that time, hand stuffed every envelope. Wow. In my parents' basement, learned a lot about bulk mail permits and uh, printing. And uh, it was about a $6,000 investment to send all those out. And within a week, I had the money back. I had put it on a credit card. Some of the things I've done, I wouldn't necessarily say this is how to do it, but that's how I did it. I was 23 when that started, when that newsletter started. And, um, and, it, and it worked. It was a good side hustle. And then that led me to want to grow, do something bigger. And that's when Utah Valley Magazine, which was our first magazine, uh, came to be in my head first. And then it came out September 2000, our very first edition. I was 25 at that time, had two babies at that time, and was so excited to combine like my excitement for business, which had shifted from wanting to study it to wanting to actually run one, my love for journalism, and my hope of being this mom that I... I wanted to be, which in my mind included a lot of time with them. So I was trying to, I was trying to have the best of all worlds. And that's continued to be a challenge throughout life because as the business has grown, it's like, well, okay, what do I have? I've had to reevaluate many times throughout my life of, um, do I want to focus on growing my business or my family or, you know, and a lot of times I've had good, good balance between the two, but sometimes I've had to shift one way or the other in the past 20, you know, Three years, really. The magazine will turn 21 this year. And that's, oh that's really when our business, uh, I would say, became a business because that's when it became our livelihood was with the magazine, not the earlier newsletter. So it's been quite a ride. You know, you just kind of summed that all up. But there is so much detail and heartache and ups and downs that I'm sure you did not share. I'm so fascinated because there are so many parallels in the story that you were telling Mm -hmm. and my own personal story, you know, starting in journalism and Mm -hmm. thinking I'm going on this path and having a baby and reevaluating and then starting entrepreneurship. Where did you find the audacity at 25 years old as a young mom (laughs) to think I'm going to start a magazine because that seems like an alligator that I don't think I'd have the nerve to tackle. There was some naivete for sure with that. I think one of my gifts, which at times is a challenge, is that I have a really positive outlook. I always think that the Jazz are going to win the national championship. I mean, I just, whatever I'm excited about, I'm sure is going to be the best thing in the whole world. It's going to work out. It's going to work out, you know. And and when I had my little cancer journey, which we might touch on more, I started with that same idea of, oh, this is just going to go away. This is going to be, you know. And so I think I, I was some of that when I was 25 of just everything's going to work out. And, um, and then not really understanding the difficulty 
of how how it would be financially. I, I think with our first issue, we sold enough ads to print it, and that was the goal. It was like if we if we sold enough ads to print it, we <coughs> move forward. If we don't. We just like move along with our lives and pretend that never happened. <laughs> and we sold enough ads and like it, there was like $2,000 profit margin. But what I didn't realize is, A, not everybody pays their bill. So that tiny profit margin doesn't ever exist. B, many don't pay on time, like more than half. And so in the beginning that uh, – because I was going to print the next issue and I still hadn't been paid for the first issue. You know, there was, there was a financial calculation there because we didn't have any investment money or anything. It was just bootstrapping and – we had a little starter home that we sold, had some equity, used all that to print the first issue, and then moved into an apartment with two babies and tried to re- regroup. And, and I don't regret any of that, but it was it was kind of a crazy turn of events and not a path I would necessarily say is one that should be copied and followed. But it was 2000 when we started the magazine, and Utah County was ready for something. I think we timed that well. Utah County has been underserved in the media market. Salt Lake is awesome, has multiple TV stations in the past, multiple newspapers, you know, and uh, and Utah County has been kind of this underserved little sister to the South, sometimes even like made fun of or seen differently, yeah. you know, <laughs> which worked to our advantage because I think communication is best when it's really geared to a community. And we had a, somewhat of a defined community down there to, to service. So, so yeah, it was a very brave thing. My, my parents were concerned as they should be, probably, <laughs> as I would be. And uh, th- I, I don't think there were a lot of people around us telling it was us it was going to work. I think it was just this internal feeling. And also, I didn't really feel that it was going to be that risky because we had decided to sell our ha- house and we did that. But it wasn't like I was going to lose everything. And we chose to give that up for a time. And um, it's not like we had a lot of savings or anything. We were just skimming along. At this point, for me to launch a, a new big business, I would I would evaluate it much differently, and I would need to have a lot more answers than I than I did at age twenty five when I didn't even know what the questions were, let alone the answers. So yeah, it was a crazy time and uh, really exciting though. It was um, I can remember so many specifics, even with that first newsletter where we stuffed every envelope. Our first subscriber was Patty Edwards from Seattle. Never met her, but when I got that phone call and she wanted to buy our newsletter for fifty nine dollars. Oh my goodness, that's so exciting. You, you know? were like, I'm never going to forget you ever. <laughs> I will never forget you 20, you know, three years later. Um, yeah, it was really exciting. Then with the magazine, our first subscriber, I know who that was. It was someone who had been a mentor for me in Idaho Falls where I grew up. She had taught me to play the organ. <laughs> and this lovely woman named Isla Mae Richardson. And she wrote a check for $10 to be our first subscriber. And those things were so meaningful to me. I mean, of course, that's not enough money to make it go, but it was the um, motivation or the belief that was worth more than that $10. And uh, the community, by and large, we had some early adopters with some advertisers that we're very grateful for. Some of have been with us for now the whole time. And then a lot of businesses have come and gone. So that's been interesting to watch, too, is to know that not every business does succeed and businesses merge, they change. And so I feel honored, grateful, excited, uh, and somewhat terrified at times that our business continues to, to grow and thrive. This last year has, has tested us in some new ways. Uh, but, but here we are a year later. I remember a year ago when we were closed and not printing anything, no revenue coming in. I remember thinking, if we make it to December and we're alive, I am going to be so thrilled you know, as a business. And, and we did, and things are actually going well. We have an issue going to the printer in a couple of weeks that 
is on target. The sales numbers are the same as two years ago. And there, there's, there are some good signs. Wow. So I'm feeling hopeful. You must have a very supportive spouse to, I mean, I'm guessing that the magazine was your idea, but it's definitely a joint venture. Yes. What were those early conversations like? Like, hey, I know we're just starting our family and we're super young and we don't have a lot of money, but we should jump off a cliff and try something (laughs) new. You know, we were both on board with it. His dad was our journalism advisor in high school. I knew my husband in high school. We didn't date until we were in college. But we were on the student newspaper together. His dad was our advisor. The very first uh, plane trip I ever took was as a senior in high school with my future father-in-law to New York to pick up this award. We, we won uh, national best student newspaper. Wow. So I got to go to Columbia. My first plane <laughs> ride. It was honestly really cool. And now it's like, oh, you're, you're my dad. <laughs> okay. Um, and so as we were getting ready to launch off on this, we were both excited, both um, skilled. My husband graduated in journalism as well. Uh, he, he has less to do with the magazines now, but we have a product division and he's, he oversees that. And, um, but yeah, I think it would be very difficult to do it without a spouse that was, um, on board because you have enough doubt yourself that if you have someone, you know, across the couch from you saying, yeah, but have you thought of this? And have you realized this could happen and blah, blah, blah. At least for me, that would have diminished a lot of this hope and desire that I had for it to go well. I feel like it's unique to find a couple that they're both cut from the same cloth in that way, where they're both willing to take those risks and go the entrepreneurial path. You know, sometimes there's one spouse that's safer and wants more security and doesn't like to take risks. And um, and then there's one that's like, let's go for it. And that could be good, too. Yeah, that mm-hmm. could be good, too. Mm-hmm. How, what kind of role do you think that has played in the magazine's success in, in having you both go, okay, we're going to do this with, we're going to jump in with both feet. Mm -hmm. I think it was essential. And I also think our youth at the time, I thought it was a disadvantage. I didn't want people to know how young I was, but I think if I had been 10 years older, I would have been more scared. I would have known more and I would have had more experience in things not working out because the time I looked at it and I thought, well, Utah County is an amazing community that does not have a magazine. It has a newspaper that like is so-so as far as community engagement. And I just was sure it was going to work. What I didn't know, so I spoke at the Chamber of Commerce, like after we'd done two issues, I think. They asked me to come and speak. And one of the people afterwards in the Q&A said, well, how are you going to survive when two other people have started magazines here and they have not worked? And I, I wish there was a picture of my face and my soul at that moment because I was like, what? I <laughs> did not know that. And if I had, it really, it would have scared me. It would have impacted me for sure. Because I would have, I'm an analytical person, you know, and I would have wanted to be like, okay, when did they start out? What did they do wrong? I would want to talk to them. I'd want to figure it out. And it would have dampened my spirits for sure. So I think being young and kind of clueless for me was in, in a way a, a blessing. And uh, it's just, in my mind, it was like, well, this is our option. It's going to work. And in that little tiny piece in the back of my mind, if it doesn't work, I was like, well, that's not horrible. We'll just get jobs. <laughs> we know how to have jobs. So um, it felt it felt like just the right thing to do. And things things did fall into place for it to, I mean, not wildly successful right off the bat or even ever. It's not like I'm, you know, Oprah or taking over the whole world or anything like that. But from the start, we had enough success to feel like this is worth going forward. 
and it's it's how we've supported our family and um, and our staff. We have about twelve right now. It, we've had larger staffs in past years. Actually, we're we're down a little bit, but um, and and it's been their livelihood. And many of my teammates, including your friend, have been there a long time. I think she's been there sixteen years. Yeah, and I have our our lead designer's been there eighteen. And um, our head, one of the writers that works with us, who does our home builder publications, our Parade of Homes magazines and such, he's been there 19 years. So we have a lot of longevity. We have two people on our sales team. Well, yeah. But anyway, a long time. It's it's not a high turnover staff, which I take as a compliment that they want to stay and that they feel compelled to the same um, vision that we've created. And 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 it's been awesome. And these people have become our best friends and and our family. And we, we, like during COVID last year, when we weren't together, and of course, we're doing some Zooms and things, but we really missed each other, you know, and and now we're back in the office, kind of half and half. And a lot of that time, honestly, when we're together is spent talking, catching up. (laughs) Yes. And a lot of the work can be done and is done separately. Uh, but I think that camaraderie is part of, it's one of the metrics I feel for success is to have a company where people want to stay and care about the product and care about each other. I think that speaks a lot to you guys and the culture that you've created that you've, you have such loyalty that people want to stay with you. So Mm, thank you. Good on you for sure. (laughs) How has owning a business, a magazine specifically shaped your family and home life as your family grew and as your kids got older and went through different stages of life. How has that kind of transpired? It definitely has uh, shaped our culture as a family. I I remember there was a a mom who was, she was a stay at home mom who was kind of anti-women working. And she, she said to my son, it looks like your mom works full time. And he, he came on, he said, she's, he was younger. She said, you work full time. What is do you, what is that? Like that, that's not a term that we think about it. Cause it was just a mix. It was, this is our life. There's work to do. There's family. There's, you know, it was combination. And I don't really describe myself as working full time. I'm not punching a clock and all that. I mean, I'm, we're very busy, but, uh, I think that they, they thought what we did was normal, which was, um, some weekends, like when we're on deadline, I, I like to work from home often on a weekend so that when everybody's done their work for the week and written their things and done the layouts, I can spend the weekend combing through. And by Monday morning, I have this list called our loose ends sheet. And and that way we're not, I feel like I'm not wasting their time during the week. I'm like coming back. Okay, here's our, our set of to do's for today. And so they've seen that. But then I also feel like I have done a pretty good job, not perfect, but a pretty good job of being there for all the mom things. But um, there's no one doing my work when I'm doing that. So there's always these trade-offs, right, of evenings and weekends. But um, it's been a beautiful life, and I don't really regret it. I don't, I don't think I feel like people say, what about mom guilt and stuff? I honestly don't feel like that's been a huge companion of, me, of mine. I don't feel like that's been sitting on my shoulder. I don't know if that's part of my everything's awesome <laughs> approach. But I, I feel like I've, I've created a situation I'm comfortable with. And I think I've come to describe balance as a home life you love and a career you love and the end, <laughs> you know, that everything else is details. But if you have things that you enjoy and you 
toggle between them. Great. And that's kind of where I'm at. The kids have helped at different times. We, we do a bride magazine and, um, they've been our delivery crew. So one of our, we have many, um, delivery models, especially for that magazine. And they deliver door to door bride magazine to the two colleges in our community. So they'll drop them on big complexes, you know, door to door. That's one of the things that it does actually, it's cheaper than postage to mail them out. So that's one thing, but also I just want the kids to work and feel involved. Uh, I now have a daughter who's at BYU. She's studying public relations and she works with us. She's interning with us and I think will be with us long-term of my five kids. She's probably the one that, and maybe the only one that will, that will really love this and, and carry it forward. And it's been a lot of fun to work with her and to see her strengths and skills come forward. And uh, so it, I feel like it has worked. I feel like it's been a good, good thing. I grew up in Idaho among farms. My dad's a school teacher, but there were farms all around. And that's how my friends' families uh, lived was by growing crops. And I've told my kids, we grow words, we grow pages. And on the farm today, <laughs> I either, you know, I need to do this. So your job on the farm is to do the dishes and to why don't you plan dinner because on the farm today you know, so I've used those analogies with them a little bit and then when they've delivered and they've cleaned our office they, you know they've done some things along the way and I just I just try and use that Idaho analogy I them. love that um how would you describe your home uh I would say you know I'm not big on rules I um I don't like to be micromanaged and so I've not been a micromanaging mother it's interesting because I have five kids and somehow there's five opposites. I, I thought there would be only two opposites. You know, when I had my first two kids, I'm like, they're opposite. You get a third one. There's a third opposite. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so they're, they're different in their approach. And some of them need a little bit more prodding for homework and piano and all of that. And some of them have been pretty good about that. So I, I feel like uh, my kids see me busy and engaged a lot um, in our new home. The workspace, the primary workspace is in the middle of the home. I had a closed door office in my last home. And although there were some good things about that, it also felt disconnected in a way. So when we designed the new home, I, I also have a separate room, but I often work at a table that's kind of in the center of it all. So they can see me as they're coming and going and, and know that they can talk to me and not have to open a door just, all right, can you talk? So that was important to me. Uh, it's a happy home. Um, I have two kids married now, which has changed things. And then two in high school and then a third grader. So it feels like three families and that's, that's cool. You know, that's just kind of been how our family worked out. I think everybody has a different journey and different plan. I have more kids than any of my siblings, which, and I was the least maternal person of all of them. I have five sisters and one brother. And when people would call our house, I need a babysitter. I was always like, I don't want to babysit. I'd rather like get a real job. And I was always trying to <laughs> scurry up real jobs starting at 12, you know, of different things for different entrepreneurs that needed a little person to do a little thing, whatever. Um, but then I have five kids and, and it's awesome. I, I feel like my kids are not super needy. They're not like at your knee saying I'm bored and what should I do and everything because they grew up in a world where they were empowered to make decisions and, and we just needed them to make decisions. Mom couldn't decide everything, you know, so they make a lot of their own breakfasts and lunches. You know, I went through a period of making their lunch every day and then I was kind of like, I actually feel like you guys could do this. <laughs> so I think we're done. <laughs> I think I just packed my last brown bag. Passing the mantle to uh -huh. you now. Yes. You know where everything is. Just go ahead and make it. <laughs> Part of that too is sometimes their lunches would come home. They hadn't eaten anything or they, I'm like, I don't like peanut butter and honey. Really? Okay. Well then you do, you do you, you just, you know, <laughs> you're in charge of that part of your life. So that's been a lot of it. Like when we sit down, we sit down every Sunday night as a family and we've done this 
forever. And we talk through the week. And it's to go over their things, their games, their tests, whatever. But it's also because I tell them, this is what I'm doing this week. And these are some things that are bigger for me, things I'm worried about, things I'm excited about. Because I want them to think about me um, and and pray for me in the business. And 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 they do those things. I, I want them to feel that this is we're all in this together. And especially on those weeks when I... I don't do a ton of traveling, but if I do a little bit of traveling for a project we're doing or other things, I'm like, so I'm not going to be here. So, you know, my daughter, Lindsay, okay, you're in charge of keeping the kitchen clean this week. And, you know, we're all on this farm and I'm busier. So pick up the slack, you know? So I, I feel like parenting is such an experiment. You kind of don't know if it went well till it's over. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't tell you if this is going to turn out well or not, but uh, so far it seems like it's, gone well. My, my kids at BYU are well-adjusted, hardworking kids and proud of them. The Heart of the Home continues in just a moment. Hey everyone, just letting you know about our accessories collection now on Stag Design Shop. It's growing from candlesticks to rugs to luxurious throws. These items will elevate your home and make great companions to our artwork, pillows, and existing accessories. You can view the new collection for yourself at stagdesignshop.com. That's stag with two G's. Why do you think it was important for your kids to see a working mom? You know, I too have have had my fair share of the comments, you know, the, oh, you're so busy all the time, yeah. uh-huh. or there is no job more rewarding than being home with your kids. And it's hard because I too see myself as like, well, I am at everything, right? Mm-hmm. I'm at every single thing I can be at. I feel like my kids are adjusted well. Why do you think it's important for your kids to see you work and pursue a passion and work really hard? I think it ignites in them some of those feelings for themselves. I, I, I have had a crazy last year. And one of those things that I chose to add to my year is I ran for a state Senate seat. <laughs> because <laughs> Which, why not? Because why not? And honestly, it, I felt more like myself during that period than any other time in the year. I was doing something hard, unlikely, meeting new people taking on a challenge that was way uphill. But my teenage boy actually texted me in the middle of the election and he just said, Hey mom, I want you to know how cool I think this is. And you're showing me that it's okay to jump out of your comfort zone and do hard things, even if you don't win. And I I didn't end up winning and I have no regrets about running. I'm so glad I I would do it a thousand times uh, again. Um, But I love that text from him. And I, and I think my other kids who may, especially my other teenagers, not quite as verbal at, at things like that. I think they did see that and go, um, that was, wow, that was brave. That was courageous. And then that I lost and life went on. I mean, I did have like a process of, of going through of a little bit of mourning, you know, of, of right. having something not work out. But then life went on. It was New Year's. We just, life went great and I didn't wallow in it. And I, and I hope and think that that showed them that it's okay to try things. A failure isn't the end. A failure is, is experience. And, um, and in some ways I feel like that experience, even though it didn't work out, gave me more confidence because I did fail and life didn't end. And also I learned so much about politics and about what I think. I thought I was well-informed, but you start diving into issues and delegates ask you questions and then you hear their, their perspective and it adds to your knowledge. And, and I came away feeling really empowered. And, uh, and so I think that that was important for them to see. Let's talk about your health journey. So you have been battling cancer. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about 
your diagnosis initially and, okay. and how you figured that out yeah. and, and the time frame? My medical history up till last year was super boring. I had five kids at the end. I've never had stitches, never had a broken leg, like nothing's ever happened to me. But last spring, I started, I, I wasn't feeling like myself, but then so many things were also happening. COVID was happening. We were moving. There were a lot of things associated with that. The business was changing. Um, you know, I was 45 at the time. I just had all these like, well, I could kind of explain it away. But then I, I went to my doctor and I explained some of my symptoms and we actually thought I might have MS because I have this leg that goes numb and some brain fog and different things that were happening. So we did an MRI to check on that, check on my brain. And they didn't see anything concerning, which was great, but they accidentally, and I'm using air quotes right now, uh, saw the thyroid. It wasn't supposed to be in this MRI, but wow. it, it ended up like they could see it. And they said, the biggest takeaway here is your thyroid is covered in growths and you need to check on that right away. And so me being like, oh, I think it's fine. I actually didn't call for a couple of weeks. Sometimes the denial is also a, st a strategy <laughs> that I use. So then I called and I went to this, this, this thyroid doctor who um, saw the MRI, did his own exam, was concerned. We did a biopsy that very moment, which is not comfortable to biopsy no. your, into your neck. And, um, and he, looking back, he really tried to say, it's pretty clear what this is. But I did. I really, honestly, didn't absorb the um, that at that point. So then I was to come back a week later for the diagnosis. And so when I came back, he said, "Well, as expected, this is malignant." I'm like, "As expected?" He's <laughs> like, "I really what are you tried to tell you last about? time." And it took. I mean, that was such a blow to me in that moment. I'm, I'm hearing this word. I'm looking at the paper. He stepped out. I'm crying, just trying to really take it in. And and he was, you know, this is going to be okay. You're still going to live a long life. We're going to take care of this. And, uh, but it's still just a hard word. My grandma died of cancer that I'm close to and named my baby after. And, and of course, cancer has touched everybody. We all have stories and people. So the, the original plan was to do surgery a week later. And um, during that week, I was giving it a lot of thought and, and prayer. And people were really kind and sharing information with me. The night before, well, kind of leading up to it, but especially the day and night before, I was like, I don't, I can't go through with this. And I don't really know why, but I'm not having surgery tomorrow. So like I lost a deposit and the doctors were like, we don't understand this. I got this email from my doctor saying, you realize you're risking death. And for whatever reason, I felt like put the brakes on for a minute. Wow. That's brave. It was, it was brave, but it was also like, if I want to breathe, I have to follow my gut instinct here. So some time went on. I threw myself into wellness. I, um, threw myself into, what are, what are ways that I could help myself without losing my thyroid? Because the thyroid's a really cool organ that gets, doesn't get enough attention. It's like the quarterback for your body it, with, um, with hormones and metabolism and, um, you know, so many things that it does for you. It's a tiny little organ in your neck, but it's powerful. And so I, you know, I was eating gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, basically eating vegetables. And, um, you know, at times I even gave up protein we gave up meat anyway and it was a journey of learning so much about myself and having a lot of um faith in different things and belief and curiosity I feel like was one of my big drivers at that point and then it took a couple months but I started to feel like okay I um I think I'm ready to move forward but at this point I had also consulted with someone at Huntsman 
And I decided I think I'm going to go there. So we, I hiked Timpanogos every year. It's the big mountain in our community. And I hiked it last year like normal. And from the top, I felt like sure enough and empowered enough to call Huntsman. There, there's, a, there's a place, just like one place where you get cell service. They call it the saddle area. And so I called from there and said, okay, let's set up the surgery. And we set it up for, um, I think it was two or three weeks after that when the first time we could get in. And I felt good about that. The surgery went well at Huntsman. Um, there, you know, there's a recovery and it's actually, it has been tough to be without a thyroid. My body has kind of freaked out in some different ways, but here's kind of the cool thing, the cool slash hard thing. So the week that, you know, after the surgery, they monitor you and they do the pathology reports and they check on things. And the week that they, they said, okay, you're cancer free. We got everything. We're good. I mean, I'll have a lifetime of scans because there's a chance of recurrence and all of that, but but we're going to call this good for now. That same week, we discovered a, a tumor on my pancreas. And I was at Huntsman. Like the, I was there at my appointment getting cleared when this other test kind of came through that accidentally, air quotes, showed this pancreas growth. And so I was at Huntsman. The pancreas people came in the room that minute and we started down that path of figuring it out. I consider that a huge... Um, huge blessing. You could say a coincidence, but I really feel like everything led me to that. Also, by the time that I had my surgery, I felt sure and empowered about it. And I feel like if I'd gone through with that first surgery, when the things would happen with my body, I, I, you know, I gained a lot of weight right after and different things were happening. I think I would have been like, should I have really gone through with that? Because there were, there were other people, there were a few people as I was researching that were like, don't do it. So I think I would have always had that regret in my mind. I got talked into that. That all happened too fast. But because I did it kind of on my timeline and on my terms and at a place I felt really good about, which was Huntsman, I don't have any regrets. I know I needed to do that. And um, so the consequences will just deal with those. I won't go back to that place of I shouldn't have. I wish I wouldn't have. So that was a gift for me. And then also just being there with the pancreas. So I've now done many tests. Um what what it is so pancreatic cancer has a very high mortality rate basically nobody lives past 5 years it's a really deadly cancer largely because they don't find it there aren't a lot of symptoms and there's not an easy test to diagnose it's not like a mammogram or something so um now they're very aware and concerned about the markers that show that you will get pancreatic cancer and i have the cells that in a significant percentage of time become cancerous. And then I also have the type of cells that create those cells. So like little factories there that are ready to do that. So um, I've met with my husband team. Our plan right now is to do one more biopsy in June, just to double check, make sure that it is what we think it is. And also measure it again, to see if there's any significant change from my last test a few weeks ago. And it's looking likely that we'll have to have a surgery to remove probably about half of my pancreas to take this out um, because the risk of leaving it in there is greater than the risk of removing half your pancreas, which is a surgery that has effects and has some definite risks associated with it. But I learned so much about myself and about cancer last summer and thyroid cancer is is one of the i mean they call it the best cancer it's it doesn't typically kill you unless it spreads um it's a tends to be not always a slower growing cancer so i felt like i did have that minute that i took to really research i now in my library have all these cancer books and i follow all these accounts and it's been fascinating for for a learner like me to really learn about cancer which i wouldn't have done unless i had a reason to it wouldn't have been interesting to me if it hadn't been me <laughs> facing the journey and it, it's all playing into this second journey with the pancreatic um, 
cancer. It, it, it's, it's precancerous right now, but it you know has those markers. So anyway, I feel I feel way more prepared. I feel like it was a gift to go through that first journey to prepare me for this one, which has a lot um, a lot more potential for impacting my my life. So that's where I'm at right now. So yes, I beat one cancer. I'm in the middle of this second journey. I have a ton of hope. I think everything's, of course, I think everything's gonna work out great. (laughs) But uh, one of the things that going through cancer does is I've always had kind of a fear of death. I want to live to 112. I have a lot to do. I, I, I don't. I feel like I know some things about the next life, but I have a lot of questions. So I'd just rather stay here. And, um, and but it, it forced me to kind of imagine that next step. And realize it's not as scary as I thought. I felt uh, close to some of my grandmothers during the process who have passed on. And it helped me realize I have friends there too. And that became less scary to me. So at this point, I feel like, of course, I think everything's going to be great. I think I'm going to live a long life. But I also really trust the process. And if I don't live as long as I intended, it, it's okay. I have, I have friends there too. I'll have purpose there too. Um, but it, you know, it, it has been an emotional journey, you know, every time during, during the period when, so when they found my pancreatic thing, I got a call at nine o'clock saying, you need a CAT scan at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. Like this is, we're not messing with this. You have growth on your pancreas. So for those next few days till we got all the results, I, I was looking at my kids every time thinking, I'm not going to see you graduate. I'm not going to see my grandbabies. I'm, you know, <laughs> I wanted to see this tree grow. Everything was through that lens. Then when we realized this is this is definitely something to worry about, but it's more in the like, what should we do and what's the timeline? It's not um, we're we're gonna catch this, you know. Then I I don't spend a lot of time crying or worrying about that now. It's more of solution mode and trying to be well in every way because I do believe the body, spirit, mind are all connected. And so last year when I was going through this, you know, doctors tend to focus on surgeries and medications, and and wellness is so much more than that. And not every doctor does. I don't mean to paint them like that, but but I feel like we should take charge of our own wellness, and that includes going to therapy if needed, which I did last year for the first time, and realizing there were, there are some things in my emotional, uh, I don't know the word is in my emotions that needed to be dealt with. I wanted to be healthy in all ways, and there were some things that I hadn't really maybe processed or thought through that I needed to. And I also started meditating for the first time, which is hard for me. I kept looking for the double speed option. Yes. How can we get through this quicker? Because I'm not one that sits still very often. But I, I, in my wellness quest, I realized I need more of that. For me to be clear, for me to lower my stress and all of that, I needed to implement more of that. So, I mean, it's been a huge journey and and, and I'm a better person now. I, I think I'm a different person now. I'm in some ways less ambitious because I I'm valuing walking and I'm valuing time at home and I'm valuing meditation. Whereas before productivity was really important. COVID's I think done that for many of us is we've slowed down a little bit, spent more time at home, realized how we can get things done in maybe these different ways or something. And I think we've all gone through a reevaluation. Mine just had an extra layer to it. How do you have those conversations with your kids though? You know, you, are a naturally very optimistic person, but explaining that to a mm-hmm. third grader, I mean, I have a third grader and I can't imagine they're just old enough to know, to understand right. a mm-hmm. lot of things, but too young to really understand. Yes. What has been the reaction from your kids and your husband? So all five of my kids reacted differently. And my oldest was, 
he's a cerebral thinker. So he was sending quotes and uh, links to things that I could read or study or that would be uplifting. My daughter, the one who's working for us now, she wanted to just, you know, buy me a crumble cookie and sit and cry together. She wanted to just face it emotionally and be there, you know, with me. My son, who's a junior in high school, uh, he went, he took my car to get washed. This was all like in the first 24 hours or so of diagnosis as everyone's reacting differently. He didn't totally want to talk about it, but he wanted to help me. So I kept finding little things he had done for me. My 15 year old daughter didn't really know what to do. So there was like some avoidance there. Don't blame her for that. It's just a reaction. Lola, my, um, she was eight at the time, now nine. Um, she made me a menu of like, do you want a milkshake? Do you want edamame? You know, circle what you want. And was she's very, very kind. We'll always bring you a blanket kind of a kid, you know. But she didn't really, really want to talk about it too much. She just wanted to be there. But then right before the surgery, a night or two before, she followed me into my closet and just kind of blurted out, like, I'm so worried about the surgery. And like, we just sat there and we both cried <laughs> because I was worried too, but I wasn't telling her that, you know, but I just acknowledged her and hugged her and said, me too, you know, and I didn't have a solution. I couldn't tell her this will hundred percent go perfectly and we will never have another problem. I don't want to set her up for that either. So we just sat there in our sadness. You know, she at Huntsman, um, no one could even come in the door with me. You know, I even thought about taking an Uber up there for the, I was there for a few days for the surgery. But I mean, my husband ended up dropping me off, but I was, it just was like, you know, he couldn't even come in the front door and she wanted so badly to see me. In fact, I found on our calendar, we have a wall family calendar. She had written on the day after the surgery in her little handwriting, break into the hospital. Oh, I mean, she just, she was cute. And there, there was like a hillside they could have climbed to see in. They couldn't have really seen me. I could have seen them, but I just, I was like, I don't think that's needed. But when they did get to come pick me up, you know, she was right there and so excited. And she slept on my floor for like a week (laughs) and she's just a little lover bug. So it was interesting to see everyone's reaction and I don't fault anyone. I think I've probably had those reactions, all of them at different times And none of them show that you necessarily care more or less. It's just sometimes you don't know what to do. Sometimes you pull inside when you're hurting or worried. And other times you're outwardly trying to deal with it or serve or talk. Um, Another thing my kids did, my my boys, the first first night, we have this little pond by our house. And they're like, well, let's kind of a seize the day moment. They're like, let's go for a midnight yak, they were calling it. And so we took the kayak to the pond and... We just, we laughed a lot, which I needed. Like it was an emotional release, you know? And so we're just kayaking around this pond that's unlit and just kind of proud of ourselves for having fun that night, you know? And and when you have those moments of what if I don't have a full life, it's nights like that that you're like, so glad we did that. That was awesome, you know? So, and then when um, we beat that first cancer, we actually went back to the pond and and anyway, had a little fun that night too. And and uh, and so it's actually been a cool thing to share as a family to talk about. And it's unifying, honestly, to go through hard things. My daughter had a couple when she was in ninth grade. She had two friends die by suicide. It was really hard for her, like close friends. And um, but but that that time period, I feel like I grew so close to her and we I enjoyed being with her because I liked being there for her during that time. And I feel like my kids and I experienced that together this past year as well of just treasuring things. What do you want your kids to look back 
speaking of my kids, I just <laughs> Hello. had my walk in. I love it. Perfect timing. My four-year-old. Hello. Hi, honey. Can you go with daddy for a minute? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, honey. I love you. Real life, you know. <laughs> Real life just happened. <laughs> she just always wants to be like right next yeah, to my side. So poor little thing. Um, what do you want your kids to look back at their childhoods and their childhood home and their mom and and think? I want them to, and I did think about that. I'm like, what will they remember about me? What would they I mean, say at my funeral? I mean, I wasn't really close to dying, and I hope that this pancreas thing works out well, but you think about those thoughts. I, I want them to say that I loved life, that I loved them, that I was brave uh, and bold, but also kind. Uh, I want them to see that I made the most of what I was given and that I didn't always take the easy road. Sometimes I took a really hard road and sometimes I backed up off of that road at, and rethought things. Um, I think they'll think of me I, I am the mom. I mean, I'm a busy mom and I'm I'm not the most nurturing, you know, make an afternoon snack every day kind of mom. But like at Disneyland, I'm the mom who's like, okay, who's staying out the latest with me? You? Because we're not coming in and, you know, my husband and other kids are going to bed. But like, I've had some great memories with my kids. Because when I, when I turn the off switch, I, I'm, I'm fun and adventurous. And I hope they remember that part of me. We just went to Mexico last week and I'm the one kayaking by myself the la- up until we have to check out of the room. I'm out there like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> a few more minutes. I won't be back here for a while, so let me just go kayaking. <laughs> that time alone, sometimes one of my kids will come out with me. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that. I think they'll know that I loved learning. I was curious, and I asked a lot of questions. What would you say to somebody who's looking at your life from the outside and thinks they know you or that assumptions that they've made about you? What would you want people to really know? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. You know, and I, I feel like on social media, we do, we present our lives and I, and I feel like I present a pretty authentic life, but I also don't show all the hard times. That was a balance I was trying to strike with the cancer journey because I wanted to show the reality of it, but not have a pity party every day and not like talk about every sad thing I ever thought, you know, so that was something I was um, conscious of. I guess I would want people to know that, um, that I really do care that I, in my community, I, I like to think of myself as a cheerleader for the community. And when I highlight people, it's, I really don't have a motive other than I think what they're doing is awesome. I do feel like I have an abundant mindset. And sometimes there's a stereotype of some women that, that, that we're not abundant and maybe we don't uh, celebrate each other's success as much. I don't, I don't, I haven't actually found that a ton, but, um, I, I don't feel like I feel that way by the nature of what I do. I'm highlighting people who are more successful than I am, that are richer than I am, that are whatever. And, and I, I don't care. It's, I, I'm just trying to show that the world is a beautiful place and people are doing amazing things amidst challenges. My favorite interviews are of people who have gone through some hard things and are willing to talk about them because they share lessons learned. And, and, and that's a great interview if you can get someone to, to do that. So I hope people would see that I'm authentically caring about other people and their stories and that I think our stories empower us and unite us. Um, I hope they would see that I love my family, but that I know that I'm an imperfect mom. The first day that Lola, my youngest, was in kindergarten, or yeah, she was in school, and it was all day kindergarten. 
I came to the office and they, it felt like a finish line to me because those years of preschoolers, the juggling is intense. It's hard. I'm in that. So that first day I came to the office, everyone was in school all day. I like came in the front door and just did a face plant right in the lobby. And my office manager took a picture of it and I ended up posting it and just saying, this is, this is how I'm feeling today. Like that, that's been an intense 20 years or whatever of having preschoolers. And that was my like most like most commented photo of a very, you know, the year or something. And not that I'm obsessed with likes and comments, but I realized that I've had a lot of pretty pictures on there and that it got less engagement, but people could relate to that feeling of like, wow, this is, you know, this has been kind of hard and it's kind of a big milestone today to be able to come to work without being like, okay, is, did I bring the kid to work with me? Is there a, a babysitter? Is that, you know, just all of the juggling that, that happened. So that, that was a lesson to me. Like in that picture, my hair didn't look great and I wasn't wearing anything cute, you know, and it wasn't any contrived photo of any kind, but, but people could connect to that. So I hope they would see that I'm real and that I'm, that I am ambitious and that I'm willing to take a chance. And I think the, the Senate seat was like <laughs> kind of a, a perfect example of that at the end of that year. So anyway, I hope that's what they see. I hope they don't see that I'm trying to brag or outshine anyone. I'm really, I'm honestly not. I think something that makes you so remarkable, relatable, endearing is that you've found a way to not only celebrate other people's highs and lows, but also your own. And that really is what connects us all, right? And makes us feel like we're not alone Mm -hmm. and, and makes us feel like we have people out there who are our people. Mm-hmm. So I am so honored that you would take the time to speak to me today. Thank oh, you so well, much for I, taking time. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. I love what you've created. I love following you and thank seeing you. the beauty that you create in homes and in lives and in your own life. Where can people find you and subscribe and do all the things? So Utah Valley 360.com is kind of the home for all of our different magazines. And from there, you can find the different titles, Utah Valley Bride and Utah Valley Magazine, etc. Instagram is my favorite platform right now. It's Jeanette, J-E-A-N-E-T-T-E-W Bennett. And then Facebook, Jeanette Waite Bennett and Twitter. I've, I'm taking a little bit of a break from Twitter <laughs> after the political season last year. I'm just a little less involved there, but I'm UV Mag Lady on Twitter. Well, you are a fun follow and inspiring for sure. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Jennifer Stagg, and you've been listening to The Heart of the Home. I hope you'll subscribe, review, and rate this podcast and tune in next episode for more Heart of the Home. Thank you so much for listening.